Hi, welcome to the Battle College podcast. Um, this is William Hatton. And this is Mike Paxton. Um, this is episode two, which was recorded on January 4th, 2013. And today we've got a couple things going on. First of all, we're going to have a guest of the week, and we'll introduce him in just a second. And end of this, we're going to sort of talk about uh, the year in review, 2012 IFGS Denver Boulder, sort of what happened with the games and what we thought about them fighting-wise and uh, how it sort of all played out and how we felt about the season. And hopefully our guests can have some good input on that. So, Will, uh, why don't you introduce our guest? Fantastic. Our guest is Izzy Weltwies. Um I'm sure all of you have met him on and around the games. Um, so I need to clear something up, Izzy. Are you are you actually a real knight? Mm, it's possible. It's possible. Indeed. But you're not sure. Yeah, it's part of a family title, so yes. Right. I can technically so, yeah. say yes. All right, fantastic. So we have an actual knight on on our show today. So, um, so tell us a little about, bit about yourself. How do you how do you get started in LARPing? Uh, basically, used to play the comic book shop playing Magic: The Gathering, and one day a flyer came up. You know that's not a live action role playing game, right? Correct. Okay. But I thought I would uh, lead it in, as it were. Yeah, I understand. But uh, basically, there was a flyer on the wall. Saw it, thought it was uh, looked like in, uh, some interest in there, I guess. Uh, basically, I was talking about come out to a local park and hit people with foam padded sticks. So I grabbed a good friend, Billy. Actually, I think it was his idea. But uh, we went out and uh, met the game of Amped Guard oh. and got addicted real quick. Yeah, so. we played Amped Guard for many years with you. So, yeah. so Amp Guard, Amp Guard happened, and it was fun, and we, we fought for a while. How did you actually get started into like actual live action, live action role playing part? Oh, Amp Guard's right, because combat. that's a yeah. true. I get them mixed up every once in a while. <laughs> Many people do. I role play hitting people with foam padded sticks very well. <laughs> <laughs> but no, uh, basically there was this these two real weird people in Amp Guard named Mike and Will. And they wanted to try out a game called Geus. Ah, uh, yes. So, I heard about that. Yeah. So they invited me in and uh, had a lot of fun doing that. Played a very, very tall dwarf. It was pretty cool. <laughs> you were actually so a really good be... dwarf. I, I thought I thought it worked really well. Yes. Tall dwarves seem to be all the rage. Indeed. The short ones, man, they're worthless. And they're harder to play, I hear. And it hurts the knees. That's what I hear. <laughs> exactly. Okay, and then, so how did you get into IGS from there? Um, did the GS thing until you, it kind of died down. Was still doing Amcard pretty heavily and got to a point where Amcard was dying down for me as well. Had a lull between about a year or so, and then I got invited out to a game. And I think that was back in 2007, maybe right. 2008. Do you know what your what, first, I, first game was? I'm having difficulty remembering. The first one I remember is Price of Competition. Oh, okay. Really? Okay. I thought you started before that. Playing my... Yeah, that's in 2009. I thought I did some things before that, but I'm not sure if I was at the uh, AAP one. Hmm. Okay. So... But yeah, my Uh first memories are definitely of playing Rat. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Which was a lot of fun. So what what do you like about LARPing? Like, uh, why do you do why do you keep doing it? It's a social aspect of my life. It's fun. Um, and gosh, I can't imagine myself ever not doing it. So. Sure, but what do you what do you get out of it? What I mean, other than just it's fun. Like, why is it fun? What does it do for you? 
And it gives me a reason to get out of the house, get away from the computer, <laughs> which is probably healthy or something. Um, so it's and, as fun as grocery shopping. That's what you're trying to tell me. Who does grocery shopping? You get your roommates to do that. Oh, I see. <laughs> no, um, it's an opportunity to spend time with friends. It's an opportunity to go and do something that normal people probably should be doing. And uh, moving forward on that. So you said you, you were in Ampcard and then it, it quote unquote died down. What uh so what do you what do you miss about Ampcard? What what does IFGS not give you that Ampcard did? Uh um, if any if anything. Yeah, it, probably the one thing that I miss from Ampcard is just the level of fighting and the intensity of the fighting. Being able to go out and fight 10 or 20 people at a time and do it for hours on end, like from a 1 p.m. to 6 p.m., a couple days a week. Yeah, that's definitely something. Yeah, it's definitely a different sort of fighting level that, you know, IFGS, unfortunately, because of all the role playing and everything, not it's really hard to get that sort of level into IFGS because there's other things going on that are interesting. In AmpGuard, it seems like you pretty much just fight. Um, so a question about you specifically. So I think everyone generally knows you as uh, the the big bad thing coming over the hill. Um, how do you feel about that? Like sort of being typecast into that sort of the, the massive unkillable troll kind of BBG role. It's a hell of a lot of fun. Um, I, I don't think it's a negative at all. I love role playing and uh as much as the next person, but fighting in Ifkis is a lot of fun. Being able to terrorize teams and uh, make people cry every once in a while. <laughs> nothing wrong with that. Have you ever actually made someone cry? Um, never from actually hitting them with the foam, but <laughs> I think there were a couple of people in a game this year that might have been close. It was either right. crying or raging in anger. But that was... Uh... <laughs> yeah, those are fun times. So... You always play the BBG, and the other thing that you're sort of known for, at least at least to us, is um, just like William and I, who fight together quite a bit, you always seem to be partnered up with Billy, and, and that's sort of, I mean, you guys started AmpGuard together, but how do you feel with always working with Billy, and how did that sort of uh, grow to be, you know, sort of a thing between the two of you, that you guys are always, you know, fighting partners or whatnot? To the point where producers were actually tying you together for games. That's true. We did that. True. <laughs> um, honestly... It just it's gotten to the point of being second nature. Uh, can't can't really remember a time when that wasn't true. So, um, probably, yeah, I don't know. Um, it's just it is what it is. I I, I, I think it's uh, kind of sad for the teams, but. Who cares about PCs, really? <laughs> I, I understand the feeling. As someone who who usually fights with Will, it's 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 not something you can really always talk about. It's just like I've always fought with this person. You know, I'm just going to continue to fight with this person. So, and and as producers, it's a really nice uh, feature that I can you know we can stick you two together in an encounter, and you guys sort of know what to do. I know. So, so something you said um, led me to a question. Do you prefer to NPC over PC? I think I do. I. I definitely prefer having the whole having it all written out for you ahead of time not really having to worry about your own story not really having to worry about a team and just being able to put 100% of your focus into this is what I'm going to do this is how I'm going to do it 
and this is the level of challenge that I want to give to a team. It All is right. really satisfying. Cool. What was your what was your favorite BBG role so far? I, um, there's so many. I th- gosh, I, I think I'm never gonna live down being the demonic teddy bear. <laughs> that costume is on the porch of my house right now. Ah. Oh no, sorry, not the teddy bear. Oh, oh I, was thinking, yeah. I was thinking Jens. Yeah, yeah, the teddy bear. Jens is definitely a, a well-known costume, but I think I, I think overall my favorite would be Draco Bowsereth. Oh sure. From yeah. Pipe Dreams, I think that was actually my favorite time. Awesome. Ever okay. being a BBG. Okay. All right, we're back. Um, this segment is my favorite segment. This is the five questions that we ask every um, every guest that comes on our show. Are you ready, Izzy? Sure. Oh, All can, right. I, can I go first? You can. Okay. First question. What is the best class? I'm going to say Ranger. That is incorrect. I'm sorry. You do not win the prize. Yeah, but the answer we were looking for was Thief. Oh, I, mean, I, I mean, night, night, night. night. I was trying to avoid the whole night getting nerfed, so I wanted to go with Ranger. I understand. I see. So you actually know that the best class is night, but you figured if you said Ranger, it might get nerfed instead. That's also the reason why I play a cleric, is so that I can avoid getting nerfed as a knight. I understand. Okay. So do, do, you, do you think the night nerfing is coming? I assume. <laughs> Just... Uh... <laughs> Do you really believe the knight is the most powerful class or the best class? I mean, we're joking here, but but do you? I think it depends on the person that's playing the class. Oh, okay. So so oh, go ahead. So so who? What possible person can you come up with that for which some other class is better? So if I were somebody who perhaps could run like, let's go with Mike Kelly. Sure which is basically run forever, in my opinion, and nobody can really catch up with them. I don't see why a ranging class isn't better. But as somebody with my personal stature, I definitely want somebody who can just sit there, take it, dish it out, and right. get back up again. Okay. So, okay. definitely... Just, just for the uh, archive files, the best character class for Michael Kelly to play is... Also Knight, that's correct. Okay. Second question. What was your favorite game? I, gosh, there's, I definitely loved Pipe Dreams, and that was probably my favorite encounter as a BBG. But I think the encounter I had in, oh, I'm going to butcher the name, uh, Lands of Light. Sure. Oh, yeah. Uh, being able to be an incarnation of evil, a really badass incarnation of evil, and basically spending an hour taunting people. That's probably my favorite time and so that far. Was in the, that was in the graveyard, right? Yes. Cool. Indeed. It was incredibly fun to watch, I have to admit. I mean, you had those teams so scared and so mad at you. We'll, we'll talk yeah. about it a little bit later, a little bit <laughs> when we get down to Maison de Lumiere later on. We'll talk about the year in review. But I, I have to admit, watching that was just priceless. Nice. <laughs> Definitely what I was going for. It was literally priceless because that was one of the few games that was not a price game. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, okay, next question. If your favorite character had to die, how would you want him or her to go out? Wow. I hope it's not a her. <laughs> it might <laughs> I, be. <laughs> I've thought about making a female character quite a few times, actually. You could probably pull it off, yeah. Thanks. 
Um, gosh, it, it would have to be either standing on a bridge, letting the rest of my team run away, holding off the oncoming horde, just to know that they're going to be safe and I'm going to die miserably. And which character is that? Uh, probably Sermon. Because he's the okay. only character I play. Okay, got it. But then also Sermon kind of hopes that that team, also, he probably sold out that team earlier, and they're probably going to die anyway. So maybe it should be more of him getting tortured and killed for his insolence. <laughs> All right. Yeah. That's... Something in there. All right. Um, and uh, if you could change one thing about the IFGS, what would it be? Um, my first inclination would be to say the fighting, but I don't think I actually mind where it's at, and I could definitely live with it. I probably I'd like to see more physical interaction between PCs and NPCs. More, if you're going to search somebody, go in and search them. That type of thing. All right. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, and if you could get one person, fictional or real, to play on your team, who would it be and why? All these single answer questions. It's no fun. Um, boy. So the first thing that comes to mind is Nathan Fillion. I think he's right. an amazing person. He seems like he would actually fit and have some fun with us. And the amount of people that he could hopefully spread the uh, word to is pretty incredible. So That's an awesome answer. I wouldn't have never have thought of that, actually. <laughs> Well, those are the five questions. Thank you very much, awesome. Izzy. And we're back. And uh, this next segment, what we're going to talk about is we're just going to talk about the year in review and uh, just sort of go over the games that we played this year and talk about them and uh, sort of what we thought about them and some memorable moments, maybe. And uh, yeah, so uh, we're going to start out. And the first game that we had in 2012 was Price of Unity, and it was a bar game. And, uh, Will, I think you have something to say about this game. You were really happy with this game, how it came out, right? It blows my mind that that was a year ago. That's crazy. You think... I guess it was March or something, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was March, so it was like 10 yeah. months. Still. Yeah, Price of Unity was possibly one of my favorite games of all time. Um, and I think a lot, of, a lot of the reason for that is that uh, Karen... Davis and um, David McMillan and Dan Frazier and a bunch of people, Brandon, of course, Slayton, um, just got really interested in what was going on ahead of time. Um, and, you know, it felt like I was on the phone and answering emails about the game, like <laughs> four hours a day for a week before the game. Um, you know, they were doing legend lores and speak to winds and all sorts of crazy stuff. And it was just, it was really cool to see people, even people that hadn't really been out in a while, um, get really interested and really involved. And, um, you know, I felt like we had a good plot and we had some fun stuff. And I, ever since then, I have, I have really liked the, um, the structure that we used, which was basically give the NPCs what they know, what they want and let them do the rest. Um, and, and Izzy was actually a big part of this because I went over to the Baltzers one night where Izzy was an yeah. NPC. And Izzy, you were part of a squad that, that was sort of structured the same way. Was that correct? Yeah, we were uh, basically planning ahead, trying to figure out what we were going to do to the game to make it fun as Argus cultists. 
right. yeah, we, we gave you a loose structure and some some resources to use, and and you didn't have very much information about the PCs. They didn't have very much information about you, and we let it to be really open ended on on what you could do. Um, I think all in all, I think the game turned out really well. I think it ran, ran a little long. We were a little rushed at the end. And the one disappointment for me was the fact how powerful lore abilities are in getting NPCs to tell you the truth. It, it felt like NPCs couldn't lie to PCs. PCs could just use some sort of magical spell to always tell whether the, PC, the NPCs are telling the truth or not. So it was a little hard at times, I felt, to try and fool the, the PCs. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But yeah, and I, I still haven't found a solution to that. Yeah. That isn't just totally out of game, but kill the gods. <laughs> oh right. That. So the game after that, uh, we actually did a, a two games, Price of Survival and Price of Knowledge, and they happened at Brandon Slayton's house. He was a producer. Um they were Price of Knowledge was a mini quest. It was uh four or five encounters. That's where Izzy played the teddy bear of doom and price of survival was just a bar game in the back. Is. Um, so tell us about the teddy bear of doom. What, what was going on there? What were you? Uh, basically a demonic converted bear who happened to be on one side of a river that, well, I guess it was a river of sludge or slime and the PC's task was to cross the river. And basically if any of the PC teams just ignored me while I was trying to destroy another one of the well caps, that would be fine. But of course, every single team had to poke the bear, which started the fight, <laughs> which was a lot of fun. And Will, um, Price of Knowledge had something that I thought was was really creative that you came up with, which was we had the uh, infected mind flayer brain at the end. Oh, yeah, that was super fun. So how, how did you come up with that? that was I, all have, you. I have no idea. I think I'd been reading up about... Illithid or something, and then I remembered Alhoons, which were undead mind flayers. Um, and I think that actually, it probably, as it usually does, came from something you said. I think you said something like, we need this, like, some sort of telepathic object. And I was like, ooh, an infected Alhoon brain. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, that was super And I didn't actually get to see it, but I hear the way that Brandon did the actual brain, like a jello mold or something. Yeah, it was jello mold, yeah. That people had to hold on to while they were getting this information and being attacked. That was that was just brilliant. And I think think the game format worked really well. It was really low key. You know, I felt like people just sort of showed up. They they checked in at Brandon's uh, house in the backyard. They went and did the mini quest over at the park nearby, and they came back. And compared to a lot of other games we had, it was just a very low key game. But I, I think it worked out really well. I think you know, the PCs had a lot of fun. Well, I think some other things that worked out about it were that uh, the price of survival um, magic shop stuff was basically going on at the same time. So PCs could, when they were done or when they just weren't doing anything, they could go and, you know, hang out and, you know, take care of business and there was other stuff to do. And that, that seemed pretty cool too. Yeah. Um, for those who don't know, price of knowledge actually started off as a mini quest that was going to be run for NPCs at price of life. Um, we were gonna, we had this <laughs> crazy idea that we were going to entertain the NPCs in the afternoon by doing little mini quests for them while the PCs rested. And of course we just never came anywhere close to having time to yeah, do that. That game ran over pretty much every time slot. So, so yeah, the, 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 the mini quest from there got turned into price of knowledge. So, uh, so the game after that was price of hope and it was up the Heil ranch. I like to call it price of heat. 
Um, <laughs> it was uh, the year before. Uh, I don't know if it got up over a hundred up there. I I know ninety five is what I heard was the recorded temperature, but it was hot. It was it was good. It was a good. I think the enjoyment of the PCs. I think they all pretty much enjoyed it. There were some great encounters, but the the heat just sapped so much energy, both from PCs and NPCs. That especially I, in inside the the white carports. Oh yeah, we had four white yeah. carports set up, and and uh, it was just like a sauna in there. You just go in there, and it's baking in there. But so yeah, uh, I kind of I kind of think of that one as Price of Glory two. Yeah, it was definitely a follow-up for Price of Glory, which which happened the year before. Izzy, what did you do for Price of Hope? I'm trying to remember. Uh, I believe I might have been a umbilicus. Yes, he was tied to Billy. monster. Oh right. And I'm pretty sure I was also an acid crystal spider. Oh yeah, beautiful. The sp- yeah. The spider web that was also very very clever. We uh, we had strung a uh, fishing line up between trees to make a maze and and. Uh, I think the PCs, you could see it, but you couldn't see it unless you looked sort of closely. It was a really neat effect that worked really well, and it was pretty cheap to do, you know, like seven lo- you know, spools of fishing line later. But... Yeah, a thousand yards of fishing line. Yeah, and it definitely uh, kind of shimmered in the sunlight, and as soon as it got into a little bit of shade, it was totally gone, really hard to see. Yeah, we had some great fights at the end. I remember uh, uh, we had, um, oh, what was that NPC's name? Uh, that Brian Booker and um, Keith Hopkins played. Uh, Reliquois and uh, Venser. Venser. Oh, that was a great fight. Watching that on day one, I, I really enjoyed watching that fight. The PCs, I think, I think that was a really good fight, you know, for the PCs to to, to have. Yeah, and my, I really enjoyed watching the PCs go through um, the gallery at the top, through the the different puzzles and figuring things out and drinking a lot. Yeah. Uh, so after that, water. I was drinking a lot of water. It's trying to stay hydrated. <laughs> Thank you, Dan Frazier, by the way. I think you saved uh, the hydration on that course. Oh my God, yes. Coolers of, of ice water. Um, after that, we got Price of Justice. And Price of Justice was a game that, at least for a while last summer, if you notice there's a lot of price games here, we were, we were producing quite a bit. I, I considered cutting the game. Like, I didn't know if we could do this as well as everything else. And it was a mini quest, you know, maybe nine encounter game, or maybe less than that, maybe it was seven encounters that we did at a park up in Longmont. But um, Will, you felt really dedicated to getting that done for some of our for some of our PCs, correct? Yeah, and I'm really glad we did. I think that was one of the best games I've seen happen. Yeah, it was uh, four tenth level players. Five. Five, I think. Okay, and Jeff was actually playing down to ninth. Uh, he wasn't quite tenth, so five. Yeah, he wasn't actually tenth yet. Yeah. Five tenth level players, which I haven't seen since Legends, and it was a pretty high-rated game, physically, mentally, fighting. I think. Um, yep. And yeah, it went really well. I, we we had some interesting combats in there. We had uh, Will. You had this incredible idea of <laughs> uh, frisbee glyphs. So the the rules about glyphs, Will cheesed them out. And he found a way that you could figure out that if you could autocast uh, and didn't have to pay the, even if you had to pay the component, but if you could autocast, create glyph, you could write them onto frisbees and throw them and lay them out as like battlefield mines. So Will played a priest that was out there with cultists around him, and he was tossing out these glyphs all around the battlefield. And w- which ones did you had? You had Mord, right? I had Mord, which I never used, because why use Mord when you have uh, uh, Magius? So yeah, Mord, just, Magius. I... Mostly I used Magus. I had, um, God, I'm trying to remember what the other, I don't think I had Passalon. I think I mostly used Magus and, um, I think I might've used Holfet to try and lock some people in. Um, yeah, all in all, it was, 
it, it made me wish I was a, a better ultimate player. <laughs> Although apparently we did go, we did blow through a huge number of um, life supports and other things that that particular encounter, I think it turned out to be a pretty deadly encounter. Yeah, I wish I could have seen it. I, I unfortunately was, I think, setting up the next encounter so I couldn't get over there. I'm pretty sure I spent the whole encounter animal-minded. It was a lot of fun to watch. <laughs> oh, man, I'm so sorry. That <laughs> happened with me in Mountains of Flame, uh, the final combat. Jeff and I both got animal-minded, so I got maybe two backstabs in, and then I was animal-minded the rest of the time. Sort of sucked, actually. Yeah, I think the rest of us were just uh, trailing behind a certain Brolian who was on a rampage. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I was mostly actually just trying to catch up with Billy. I'd be like, okay, Billy's got to have some, got to be fighting someone, and then I'd find him, and together we'd take that person down and then i'd be like okay where'd billy go now so after i mean the other combats that i remember well first of all brett played um the oh my gosh yes. uh, forestall the spirit of the forestall he had an amazing costume if you haven't seen the pictures go out to the shutterfly site i think it's ifgsdb.shutterfly.com and check them out brett had this amazing like sort of human tree barkish creature that was playing the spirit of the forestall that just blew me away and the PCs kept coming back to that character, and Brett actually had it set up so that every time they came back, it had changed. So that was that was incredibly neat. And then the very end of the game, we uh, sort of threw the PCs up against a, a siege fight. Probably took maybe 45 minutes, a three-stage siege fight. That worked out pretty well. We had some interesting ideas. We... We tried some props on the grounds um, of these black sludge puddles made out of plastic that didn't didn't work real great. But uh, I think we had some good costuming and the, the fights in general. I, th- I think it was a hard fight for them. I, I felt like they they really we pushed them to the limit. And actually, I think that game had a one of the really good ideas in it. Can you say some more about the uh, the living plague? Oh yeah. So what we what we had come up with was this idea that Argas is this god of pestilence and plague, and we wanted some way to see that personified. So what we had is a way that he could call down the plague on someone, cast a spell, and what we did is we made that plague a person. So it was an NPC holding up a white flag that would go stand behind a PC, and they had they couldn't be affected. You know, there's ways that you could cure disease to get rid of the flag, and then Argas could cast it again. But the main thing is that person playing the plague could then cast spells on the PC that they're following around as if it's a plague inside of them. So he could like wither a limb, he could interrupt a spell. And it was it was just a really interesting way to have effects where the NPC that's playing the big bad guy didn't have to keep calling him out. That there was another person sort of handling that and gauging the fight, sort of, you know, if the, the PCs are getting, you know, beat down too much, maybe he would pull back a little bit. Or if, you know, he needed to push the fight and make it a little bit harder, he could he could do that. So I think Dave David McMillan got uh, plagued very early on and, and Brian Olson right. followed him around. Yeah, and part of what I liked about the the way that plague was designed is that a lot of its stuff was reactive. So if the PC did this then the plague could respond with this. If the PC did this, then that recharged the plague's this, you know. And so our next game after that one was Ultimate Price, the end of the Price series. And I don't, I don't remember that one. What happened? <laughs> it was uh, a beast of a game. I think Brandon did an awesome job with production, though. I think he did a much better job than I imagined it would go. There were definitely some parts of that that were really surprised me. I thought the... Um... The lady parts of fire were pretty cool. Um, and uh, I actually really liked um, in the in the split corridor in the dungeon, mm-hmm. um, Ray's um, pads, his um, pressure pads. Did those, those work were... well? I never got to see him actually work. 
I tried them out. They worked fantastically. I thought oh. they were so. So yeah. Ultimate Price was a one day game, but it was a finale of the Price series, so it was a pretty pretty big game. We ran two teams through each day, and I think the most memorable thing uh, to start with is. It was a pretty deadly game. We killed off two teams. Over 50%. Yeah, yeah over 50%, which was not necessarily intended. Um, but it was a hard game, and, and I think we fought every other encounter. I mean, the first encounter was basically a one-and-a-half-hour siege fight. Yeah, but it was mostly one-and-a-half-hour siege fight with the NPCs. <laughs> sure, the PCs went and talked, and some of them fought and whatnot. Uh, so what else do you guys remember about the game that you guys thought went off really well? I definitely had the uh, the first big BBG in that uh, game where basically wade into the camp swinging as much damage as I could swing and just getting pounded by people. Oh yeah, I remember that. That was fun actually because you were you were tossing out little pieces of you that would spawn into new demons and I was one of the exactly. Demons. So after you got hit so many times, you'd go spawn and you'd toss these little beanbags and wherever they hit, I remember Nissa and I would pain, yeah. yeah Nissa and I would. Spawn would spring out and we could fight and whatnot. And that was sort of good causing chaos in the, the camp. And throwing beanbags around that would spawn things. And every t- a couple times I got hit, I would spawn things. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I liked um, liked getting hugs in that encounter. That was nice. <laughs> it was a very friendly encounter. <laughs> oh, that's right. You were stuck inside. I was actually against you that time. Uh-huh. Yep. I wasn't stuck inside. It was awesome. I loved being one of the Avendarians. Didn't you pick up somebody and haul them off? Oh, yeah, I sure did. Yeah, that was pretty fun, too. So we had a couple other interesting fights. Um, we had a monk fight that you came up with, Will, which was five monks, uh, no weapons at all. That was sort of interesting. So we got to use physical attack, or we got to use you know throws and um, you know whatever weapons we could get from PCs. And and that fight I think turned out really well. Like it went really really well. Yeah, we had a lot of fun there. Um, so that was sort of interesting. The end fight, um, unfortunately, because a lot of the teams didn't survive long enough, we we expected this. <sighs> really big fight at the end where we'd have these uh geosa and these three demons you know that they've seen before that they they know would have rune and we'd have argast and we'd have um shacks and did any teams one team fought right yeah uh derek's derek's team i guess brian olson's team right yep they they were the only ones who really came into that encounter full force um and they they fought it and it went pretty much the way we expected but you know even um even the Dallas team, they came in a little bit broken, um, and they we couldn't get them to fight it. So yeah, they just waited it out, which was a, a good way of, of dealing with that encounter. Yes. But um, so after Ultimate Price, we had Maison de Lumiere, and this was Jonathan Weisner's first game. I thought he did an excellent job. Um, yeah, from what I hear, the PCs really loved that game. Yeah. What did you think, Izzy? You were, so you played the Incarnation of Evil. Did you do anything else for the game? Uh, no, I think that's all I did. But uh, all I heard from the NPCs who were around were it was amazing. They had a ton of fun as well. I was a GM, so I GM teams won on both days. And my teams just, they had so much fun. The, the Incarnation of Evil encounter was probably the hardest encounter I think that they had that most teams struggled with. There was a mental puzzle in there that could take a while to figure out and it took most teams about an hour. And while this was happening, they were pretty much being attacked by zombies that you were summoning. And so I think they yes, were... my very... minions. Mm. I, I... <laughs> yes, your minions. <laughs> I, I think teams, you know, I've, I've found that that is one of the most frustrating combinations. If you can do a mental puzzle with a fight at the same time, yeah, like teams, it just throws them for a loop. Well, yeah, I think there's a good 20-point IQ penalty um, if there's fighting going on. 
Well, know, I think it was more that nobody was willing to put their face in that liquid. Oh, that's Pretty nasty. <laughs> and um, yeah, we had a, there was a great big dungeon at the end that uh, Dave Mack and, and my wife and a few others helped set up that did an, an amazing job with that. And that was, I think, a lot of those players were newer players. They hadn't seen that level of production, um, and that worked out really well. And and sort of the the way it sort of built at the end, the, the climax of the game. You know, they they started off. They get they get to the final encounter, and they have this fight against the incarnation of magic. And these they actually had pyrotechnics. They had flashbots that went off. And I think as soon as that happened, and then this music sort of swelled in, everyone's uh, adrenaline sort of rose up. And then they knew that they had to go, go, go. And then it ended in this big fight. And I think all in all, the teams just loved that. I think it was a great ending to a game. And then after that, we had, in the fall, we had Tomb of Tempest. And this was a game that you wrote, Will, right? Mm-hmm. And I actually yeah. didn't write with you. which was I know. And trust so me, weird. I... Well, it was actually really hard. Um, you know, writing a game by myself, I am I am not a good game writer. Um, I get stuck really easily, and I run into problems really easily that I find myself unable to get out of. Um, and uh, in this particular game, it was my wife Amy who helped me through a lot of little problems, just problem solving with me. Um, and then I also talked to uh, my friend Will Jordan, and he had some some ideas. But yeah, that was a I, I am not a good writer by myself. <laughs> I'm not sure that's true. I think you're just like me. You're just practiced having someone else to fall back on. I think I think after a game or two, you would get back into the swing of things on on how to do it. I think you're just used to having just the same thing. Like you know, when I when I try and write stuff without you, it's, I feel the same way. In any case, it was and part of the reason was I really wanted Mike's knight, Mike's knight Owen, to be able to play in the game, and uh, so that. Uh, it went really well, that, and Jeff Floats produced it. That was a beautifully run game. It was fast. It was easy. Like Jeff did a great job making sure everyone knew exactly what they were doing. It was it was just smooth, and I really appreciated it. And and it was uh, AP, which so it wasn't a seven zero. So we're we're doing this new rule set AP, and this was the first full line course that we had done with AP, and I think we all learned quite a bit from it. If... Definitely. I mean, for instance, learned... oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say we learned a lot that was different than the than we had in the playtests because as i realized like we had never seen sort of a power gamed team all we'd seen is these teams where everyone was kind of bringing whatever their normal character was in these really weird combinations so it was an eye opener for sure yeah i think my team was night 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 cleric um and what the the power gaming part was not so much the knights because knights in ap don't seem quite as powerful as they do in 70 but it was really that I had a whole bunch of gold from Cap for Gold that I brought in. So our cleric could use God's Boon, and we had unlimited spell points. And that's where the balance sort of shifted for me, that, that it wasn't so much about having all the knights, but it was just like, if you have unlimited gold, because you NPC a lot or you produce or whatnot, you can make games quite a bit easier. I don't think that was an AAP problem, though. I think that's... No, it's I mean, probably a 7-0 problem, too. It's just we don't see it very often. I mean, I think Ultimate Price, we had a couple teams go in with a lot of gold, and we had a couple teams go in with no gold, and I think there was a big difference there. Well, and um, Mountain of Flame, I feel like we we didn't abuse it nearly as much as we could have, but we I mean, we, we used it a few times in your Mountains of Flame as PCs, too. Yeah, that's true. Izzy, Izzy what did you do for uh, for that game? Uh, it was your God's Moon. Oh, right, you were my clerk. <laughs> uh, that's right. No, that, that was for Mountains of Flame. Oh, for Mountains uh, of Flame. No, for Tomb of Tempest, I was an NPC in the uh, first big fight, 
And then I was also one of these shades in the final fight. Right, yeah. That the shade encounter was was right before the final bad guy basically and it was pretty confusing because again you're being attacked by these shades that keep coming out of the wall and you had to figure out how to get out of this room or whether you're going to do something in this room and it was really hard to try and make smart decisions while you're trying to hold off these these shades and so uh, i know we had a we had a lot of time hard time finding the glyph to get out of the room yeah that encounter just went nothing like how anybody expected it not not our my SC, not my producer, not me. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why we weren't thinking about it, but yeah. That is the first time I've seen anybody intentionally headbutt a glyph, though. <laughs> I heard about Brandon. Yeah, <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah, that was pretty cool. And then the the final game of the year, we had uh, Vineyard's Arrival, and Vineyard's Arrival is uh, the first in our new bar game series. Um, and uh, what do you guys think about it? What how'd it go? It's actually uh, one of the few times I've PC'd, and I had a lot of fun trying to convince the uh, NPCs to go and kill all the uh, PCs who were coming in from uh, the Lanes of the Lost. So that was all my right. goal in that one. <laughs> I, I definitely enjoyed it once you guys got down to the door, and um, <clears throat> you actually were hiring out your service your services as a glyph remover. Yes, that was fun. <laughs> yeah. as, as a producer, I have to admit, this was one of our... Um, bar games that had probably a little bit less plot than most and i didn't know what to do with myself i had a little bit more time i wasn't rushed around i wasn't like you know oh we've got to attack them attack them you know we've got to you know throw this at them we just sort of sending in npcs as they go and i just i felt a little relaxed throughout the whole thing it was a little strange and i don't know if i like it yeah i'm not sure i liked it actually yeah um, so yeah, that was our uh, 2012 uh, year, in review. year in review. So we had some great games, and uh, hopefully you guys can comment on Facebook and sort of share some of the memories that you guys have thought about the last year. And uh, next year, hopefully around this time, we'll be doing a year of review of 2013. Okay, we're back. And uh, for this segment, what we're sort of going to just talk about is sort of what's been going on with us and what's going on with the IFGS right now, just a little bit of current news and sort of just whatever we want to talk about. So, uh, Will, what do you want to start with? Um, well, yeah, I'll just – actually, I'll just go down the list for me real quick, um, throw in anything that occurs to you. Uh, we've got the fight casts going on. Those are still going on every week. Um, we're looking forward to – we're probably going to be hitting up Florentine and beanbag spells and abilities and some other stuff here in the next, next few. Right now we're in the middle of uh, – uh, beginner basics, which I'm excited about. I hope people really get something out of those. Um, the Battle College Fighting Workshops, uh, we've got one coming up at the end of the month, but it has, I mean, it was booked booked solid moments after I opened it up, so I'm um, probably going to try and do another one a month after that or so. And Yeah, it's just sort of keep some fighting going for those people that want to stay fresh over the, over the Christmas, se- or winter season, I guess. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, sanctioning, I've got a lot of, I mean, I've, we've got games in sanctioning, but yeah, they're, it's, it's they're pretty of, flat. Yeah, it's sort of weird. I mean, uh, I've got a lot of my play, I'm sanctioning chair, so I've got a, at least a couple games I'm trying to get a committee sort of for, and we're getting down to our planning meetings, so we're, we're trying this idea that we've talked about in years past, and we're trying to revive it, where we start scheduling games here in January for the following year, so we have some dates sort of set in stone or at least pretty close in stone so what we do is we take all the games that are in sanctioning currently and we're going to start with the ones that are basically done that are 
totally through the sanctioning process and they'll get priority and we'll sort of work our way backwards. I, I have to admit, I was a little disappointed. We, uh, we had sort of had a push to try and get some new writers and get some people to get some games done uh, by the first of the year. And it wasn't as successful as I wanted to. Um, there was a couple, couple games that just didn't quite make it into sanctioning yet, but I still have hope. I, I still really think that, you know, if we can get them in in January and February, we can sort of plow through them. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, hopefully they'll still show up. Yeah. Um, as far as writing goes, um, I think I've only got two writing things on my sort of slate. First one is Vineyards B, um, which hopefully will be running in March or April, somewhere in there. Um, and then the other one is a, a concept, which I'm not going to say a lot about, but the, uh, the name of the game at the moment is Raid on Kair Gwynog. Um, and, uh. Yeah, we'll see how that one goes. I'll 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 do some more on that some other time, but it's it's an interesting concept that uh I'm not sure if Mike Michael Kelly was the one who came up with the idea. Yeah, I think but it was it, Michael he, Kelly, yep. He certainly developed it and, and made it um made it sort of a, a viable model. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a different sort of game. Go, going back to Vineyards B real quick, just to, to let everyone know, it's it's interesting. So we sort of had this deadline that we wanted to get it done by uh January first and get it into sanctioning and that clearly did not happen due to no. life and, and whatnot. But our hope is to get it by the end of the month. But the interesting thing about the writing process is, is we were sort of going down a road and we had uh, sat there and we were sort of brainstorming and we're like, well, you know, this isn't quite working. And we have this other brainstorm and we come up with this, this crazy idea of this, this carnival game and, you know, that we were going to do with the bar game. We threw that out and we, then we sort of settled on this idea that we thought was a really good one. At least I did, but it was, it, you know, we sort of sat over it for about two weeks over Christmas and, it didn't sit, sit well with me. I just couldn't find a way to sort of plow forward on the idea. And you sort of came to me one day and you're like, we need to rewrite this idea because it's it's not quite working, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. And so I think we came up with you, that. You sounded really relieved when I said that, by the way. I, I thought you were going to be like, damn, Mike, you know, you're, you're making me like rewrite this game again. And luckily we hadn't had a whole lot down on paper. But I think the, the, the balance we sort of came up to, with. Uh, in the end, the, the game that's the, the state it's sort of in now is a really good one, and hopefully we'll get that in, and, and uh, Vineyards B will be run in March or April, sometime like that. It'll be sort of an early season bar game. People can come out and purchase some magic items and sort of get back into IFGS. Cool. And, uh, yeah, so an AP, how's that going? Uh, not a lot going there. I've I, I started trying to do some analysis on some numbers, which I like to do every once in a while just to really break my own self-confidence um but i i just didn't i'm 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 leaving it as is for now i think six two is looming um but uh i think we've got a while yeah oh going back to sanctioning something else came up with uh, that i wanted to talk a little bit about and i, I don't want to talk too much about it but we actually the sanctioning committee had an interesting debate recently with a, a magic item that sort of uh <laughs> yeah i'm gonna bring it up um because i think it's an interesting discussion point so all right fair enough um, we have a game coming up here next week called The Nexus. It's a bar game at Jonathan Weisner's house um, that William helped write. And there was an item in the magic shop that the sanction committee, the, the item was perfectly legal. You had written the item. But one of our sanctioners thought that it might be broken. Yeah. And um, there was. And specifically, and I, I appreciated this comment, that he, he wasn't sure he wanted to allow that item into the Denver Boulder economy, meaning he didn't want to see people in Denver Boulder using this item. And from. I, from my standpoint, as a as a, the sanctioning chair, I've never had to deal with this before because the item is legal. You know, you know, 
how do we deal with that? You know, you as a writer, can you just put it into the game and the sanction committee has to say yes. Um, but I think we, you, you know, you and I talked and the sanction committee and I talked and we all sort of agreed that it's still the sanction committee's role to monitor the economy because there can still be loopholes that we could find. Absolutely. And um, the item ended up being legal. Um, we were going to allow the item, but I think there's definitely some debate over it and there's some disagreement. So I hope that we can sort of see that item in use here in the future and um, and sort of see how it sort of plays out and whether some of these fears sort of hold true. And we can rediscuss it at that point. Sure. It was a great I, discussion actually, point. I, and I, we just don't do that very much as a sanction committee. I was glad we could. Well, I was going to say, uh, people should sound off about this item on, on Facebook. Um, so the, the item itself was an unlimited target arrow. So it meant anytime you wanted to spend 10 seconds, you could target a limb or bypass a shield. Or, uh, both, really. Um, the, the item costs about 9,000 gold for, for unlimited. Um, so yeah, uh, if, if you're interested and you, you've, you know, you've thought about the item, well, I'd love to see what you have to think, what, what you have to say about it. Yeah, so... Uh, there's that, and um, what else is going on? Weapon building? You get, you working on anything? I am. Um, I'm trying to get some weapons done that were supposed to be done for Christmas. Sorry. Um, and I'm still working on them. Um, I'm uh, working with some new foam called Microcell Foam. Um, that's really fun. Um, and I'm trying to put together some weapons uh, for my own characters. Um, so it's I'm, I'm feeling a little stuffed right now well and i'd like to say that you won first place in the uh first <laughs> annual plasti dip uh award christmas awards yeah holiday crafters competition so you might have saw it on facebook what had happened is uh, plasti dip the company they make this this uh m this liquid that you basically paint on stuff and it turns into rubber um and they had a competition where you could submit items and there were hundreds of people that submitted items for this contest and will was one of three finalists and thank you to all the facebook people that went out there and the twitter people that retweeted this and and sort of brought awareness to larping and what these are and will has a beautiful shield you can check it out on facebook and just uh give some props out there hopefully we can see a full-size shield soon ah yes yeah next summer i think awesome um, and for me, I uh, am sort of taking a break from IFGS after Sunday and going away to Disney World for a week and a half and going to go run a couple races and stuff and should be fun and then come back and hopefully be a little bit more re-energized about IFGS. I definitely felt like I haven't had a huge break, both with the fight cast and the podcasts and writing. Yeah, sure. So hopefully this will, this will be a nice break and I can come back refreshed. You working on any uh, writing projects of your own? Oh, yep. Uh, <laughs> I am. So Jeff Lotz and I are working on a game. Uh, the the game... Dusky Honeydew List. <laughs> the game right now is called Dark Quest. It's maybe not a final title. We don't know yet. But um, it's a really awesome idea. Um, it's going to be sort of the same size as Tomb of Tempest. It's going to be you know, one or two days, two teams probably per day at most. Um, done a, maybe you know Will's Parents Clubhouse where we did Tomb of Tempest. And um, it's just a... It's got some interesting concepts in it, so we're really we're really curious to see how those play out. So excited to see that, and Will will get to play um, for once in a long time because you don't really get that, that much of a chance. So. I did not play in 2012. That is certainly true. I think that's uh, all we've been up to recently. So thank you very much for that. Great. And... All right, and now on to our second to last segment, which is viewer mail. Um, 
dear Battle College podcast, you still aren't answering any um, of their mail. Why is that? Love running gag. Well, running gag, that's because no one has sent us any mail questions yet. So if you will get on it, we will certainly be happy to answer some mail questions. <laughs> uh, yeah, and you don't have to send us an email. You can post it on Facebook. You can Facebook up me. You can, however you want to sort of contact us, give us a call, whatever. You can, you can hand scribe a letter in beautiful calligraphy and mail it to us. Also, we appreciate any iTunes reviews. We're on the iTunes store now, so feel free to go onto iTunes and give us uh, some honest feedback there as well. And we'll uh, try to take a look at those and address that as well. Well, I think that's it. I think that's it for tonight. So, it is? Uh, yeah, I think it is. So, Izzy, I want to thank you very much for coming on, being our first guest. Woohoo! Had a great time. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, Thanks. Sort of reminiscing about the year with you and, and hearing about your uh, background in LARPing. Is there anything else you <laughs> wanted to add, Iz, before we sign off? Not really. I just uh, thank you guys for doing this. This is a lot of fun to listen to every once in a while and keep it up. Awesome. And well, thanks a lot, Izzy. Yeah. And again, this is the Battle College uh, podcast. And uh, remember, combatants de lucha. Oh, really? We're, t- we're doing it in different languages now. Yeah, that's what Google Translate says it is in Spanish. All right. I'm looking forward to like Afrikaans next. Yeah, I had a couple that I was going to sort of try and pull out today, and I decided to stick with an easy one. So I like that one. Yeah. So anyways, right. have a good night, everyone. Thanks. Night. Night.